Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! And uh, it's a fantastic movie for the 80s, and uh, it was really great. But there was a moment, look, I think I was like six years old, seven years old, and there's a moment where Tom and Kelly decide to um, come together. And, uh, and there's that song that's like, you know, and it's blue and they're doing another thing. And I remember sitting next to my dad, and then this is what I saw. Take my breath away, right? <laughs> and, then, and then all of a sudden we were back to at, at the Top Gun Academy. Uh, yes. And uh, it's really funny because later on when I was in high school, uh, my last years of high school, I went to this private boarding school in Minnesota. It's a long story. Uh, but... We had this rule in the dorms that we could only watch PG movies. And I always, because PG-13 hadn't been invented yet, and Top Gun was PG. It had, it had sexy sex. It had, like, friends dying. It had violence. And I always remember pitching to the deans, being like, why can't we watch this movie? Top Gun has all of these things, and it's only PG. And that was always my argument. It's like a, just, that was random. But, uh... When we, so today's Father's Day and our, uh, we're in our liturgical flow, we're talking about invitation to presence and the presence of God. And I think uh, in some way, like the presence of God can be maybe this frightful thing. Like if we find ourselves in a situation in life where we're like, oh, I don't know if I should be here. And then we feel like the hand of God's like, okay. So uh, we're going to discuss some of that. And one of the stories that came to mind for me was the story of the prodigal son. And so I actually have had this idea for an illustration in my head for like a year. And so I was like, okay, uh, I'll put a pressure on myself. I'll get it done this week. So on my iPad using Procreate, can we have the image up? Maybe. Here we go. So uh, I fleshed it out. And uh, so this morning, we're going to do a bit of like visio divina or kind of art reflection. And we're going to go through this passage, but kind of meditating on uh, this image. Uh, for all of you who are visual learners, you're welcome. So, uh, so here we have the story of the prodigal son. And we have this house. And if you notice, if maybe you noticed, but the house is kind of heart-shaped, and that's on purpose. Uh, and it's, it's shaped like this heart, this, this house that's full of love. And then we have this, you know, this prodigal son returning and the father's running away. And then on the other side, uh, we have this uh, daughter and mother. And here's the daughter that stayed at home and the mother that's reaching out for her. And so I've played with the story. <sighs> I played with it. Um, look, the thing about uh, when Jesus tells this story, so what's the setting? Jesus is having dinner with people who are known as sinners. And then these Pharisees and these religious scholars see this, and they're like, oh, look at this guy hanging out with these people. And he begins to tell these metaphors, right, these stories, and going, hey, how many of you, if you had a sheep, you know, 99 and one, 100 and one went away, you'd go get it and you'd celebrate. How many of you who a woman's lost a coin and she finds the missing one and she brings her friends together? And then this story. He's giving these metaphors, right? 
And we can often get caught up in metaphors and get really into like the minutia of it and miss the like deep, deep truth it's trying to bring us into. So is this metaphor, this story about uh, familial relationships that only happen in male, you know, relationships? I don't think so. It's deeper than that. Um, so let's take a metaphor. Like what, what are some of the metaphors for God that you've heard or that you come to understand? Just say them out loud if you got them. God is shepherd, light, I'm going to go with my Lutheran roots, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, yes. What else? Love, who remembers third day? Consuming fire, right? Remember any third day fans? No? Okay, me, me alone. Creator. Yes. Thank you for your awakeness this morning. Uh, yeah, right? We, so we have all these, uh, these kind of these metaphors that are alluding to this idea or this characteristic about God. Uh, for us to say, like, God is our rock, like the God of the rock of our salvation, for us to go into that metaphor and go, yeah, but what kind of rock? Is he a soapstone? Is he a sandstone? Is he, is he's probably granite, because if you've ever tried to, like, uh, redo your kitchen, why is granite so expensive? Like, it's crazy. So, obviously, he's a precious rock, like granite. Or I was talking to Kurt yesterday, and he did a good dad pun where he's like, yeah, because we take God for granite. <laughs> That's good. Right? So, but to get, yes, nailed it. So, to get into, like, the metaphor and go, well, what about this deal? What about this detail is to lose the overall uh like invitation to the truth of like God is this rock, is this firm foundation, right? So in this story, is the story just about these certain characters or is it about this deeper truth about this kind of relationship that's going on? Now, I do think Jesus was using a father on purpose. At this time, uh, males were, were the ones who owned uh, land. And so a lot of this story is having to deal with uh, power dynamics the person who owns money and has a lot of wealth, and then somebody coming to them and say, I'd like to take your wealth that's coming to me now so you can't have it and I can have it and squander it. So it's, just, it's also dealing with this, about the person who, who has the power and has the power to be angry and how he's kind of flipping all of these metaphors, and, and, and that's at play as well. And also, I kept the father running in this image because uh, at this time, like uh, for, uh, for a person with like this this noble character or this power character dynamic to like begin running and do that embarrassing thing. Like as you get older, it's less and less attractive to just run in public. I don't know. And uh, has this happened to you? Um, it's so, so specifically in this story, like this is like at the time, this was like a scandalous thing and say like this, this, this patriarch, this father figure is running to this son, right, is, is symbolizing this, like, release of power that's going on there. And so there's Jesus, as a, as, a, as a magnificent and amazing storyteller, is really, like, poking at a lot of cultural norms that, uh, that's going on in this. Um, and what he's saying, he's like, your idea of what God the Father is is different, right? Because what the Pharisees were saying is like, hey, we know who God the Father is. And these people that you're hanging out with aren't participating in that. We are. And Jesus is going, actually, I don't think you really do know who the Father is, what the Father's really like. So let's get to that term sinner, right? They say, hey, he's hanging out with a bunch of sinners. Um, at the time, 
you know, to be a sinner didn't, like everybody in the story is a sinner, you know, like the Pharisees and the religious scholars aren't. But what the term sinner means is at that time, in order to confess and deal with your sins, it involved animal sacrifice. It looked like you going to a temple and shedding the blood of an animal, right? And the Pharisees and the religious scholars were people who are part of this system. The Pharisees were, in fact, people who were like cared so much about this that they figured out other rules and other laws to help us prevent committing these sins, right? And they were like very invested in that. And so when they see Jesus hanging out with people who are like, quote unquote, sinners, they're saying, these people aren't being involved in this system. Like, this is what we know to do as Jews. Like, they're not doing this. They're not participating. They don't care what God has asked us to do. Why are you, they're not being a part of this thing. Why are you hanging out with them? And then uh, Jesus tells them a story about, uh, and then he begins to tell the story, right, about a person who, who's like, yeah, I don't want to do this system any longer, and also a person who's like in the system and what that does to them. Because the one, there's like this person who's like, I don't have what it takes, or I don't want to do this thing anymore, and I actually just want to go live my life and do whatever I want, and it leads them to this place where they're like, yeah, but I'm still empty, and I'm lonely, right, and I I don't have anywhere else to go. And then there's this other person who's in the system as well, who's like obeying all the rules and, and, and doing all the things, and yet is still full of like bitterness and anger at grace shown to anybody else who's not doing that. It's like if you're a trailblazer, if it's like if you're a hardcore trailblazers fan and you got mad at all the people who bandwagoned this year as the trailblazers got into the playoffs, right? You're like, you weren't there from the beginning? What do you mean you're a fan? You bought a hat? That doesn't mean anything, right? Like it's, it's like you haven't been participating from the beginning. And in fact, I'm actually really mad that you've had such a freedom. I've been staying here the whole time. I'm jealous of your freedom. Don't tell me you can just go do that and come back and get to have a dinner, right? Uh, What's interesting is that at the end of this story, Jesus doesn't go, hey, by the way, when you tell the story later on, please call it the prodigal son. No, like that's never said in there. It's, It's us who've given us the name of this story. It's us who've given us the name the prodigal son of the story. This, this story could have very well be called the gracious and loving father, the one, the running father, or the house of belonging, right? Like, it's, ama- it's amazing how much our shame, our not enoughness, uh, can dictate the stories we think we're in, can dictate the stories that we think that God has invited us into. And we make it about us. Like, I can't do I can't do this church thing any longer, right? I don't know how to do this thing anymore. It's full of hypocrisy. It doesn't work. I just want to get away from it, right? And yet on that journey, you know, the thing about like deconstruction and, and, and this kind of, it doesn't work anymore. And I understand and, I, and, I've, and I've walked that journey, but it always kind of ends to spiritual loneliness. It ends in spiritual loneliness, And you're like, there's still this aspect of me that I have to deal with, and I don't know how to deal with it. This place that I thought I could, it's not working anymore, but I'm still trying to find a place for that to happen, right? And then there's this other side, too. We stick with the thing, and we despise all the freedoms in everyone else, and we're not filled with love and grace. We're just filled with jealousy for people who've been able to get out of the system that we've found ourselves in and sticking with. 
what this other thing we're invited to is this, is this house of belonging, love's house, right? Where we're invited to be like, come, we've missed your presence. And then also, come, everything I have is yours. You've been with me, everything I have is yours. Both the sons act, uh, both the sons, their response to the father is based on their deeds. I didn't, you know, I, I did something wrong to you. I'm no longer a son. Just make me your servant. Or, hey, I've been with you this whole time. You never let me do anything. I'm mad about this. I've been here the whole time. Both their responses to the father is like based on what they've done. And the father responds with identity, not on what they've done, right? Because shame is the lie of our identity and love is the reminder of our identity. Our stories of not enough, like I wasn't able to keep this up or I've been doing this so much, but it, it doesn't work out. It's not working out anymore. Like we think that that's the dictator of our relationship and love says, no, no, that's not your identity. Love is your identity. This house of belonging, this house of love is your identity. And then the last thing uh, that I was, as I was reflecting and making this, because we have this kind of like, what is, what is going on with these metaphor stories and, and dealing with our shame stories and, and how we find ourselves in these stories. And then the last one is a father. Like, there's, this is a story about a father and two sons. And you know, in this room is, is a spectrum of father experiences. And Jeannie shared, you know, her story. And I've, I've actually heard, as I've been talking to people this week, many different father stories. Like, in this room, I know that there's people who have wonderful fathers who've been a great example and have loved them. And I know that there are people in this room that have fathers that weren't around or treated them poorly. A woman who's in this community who's not here today, but she's, she's uh, down celebrating in downtown Portland. Uh, she said, you know, I don't ever really go to church on Father's Day because about 10 years ago, my, when I came out to my dad, he called me a faggot and I've never seen him again. And so it's really hard for me to be at church on Father's Day because it's a deep, deep wound. And so when we're given this like metaphor, this metaphor is God the Father, it, 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 we, it, we can't help but bring our own personal experience to it. And that's a really tricky thing because this metaphor then begins to excavate and deal with our very real stories, our very real stories. And what I see in this story is that Jesus is saying, there's a father. We get obsessed with our father stories, but Jesus is going, there's a father. This is a different kind of father. This is a different kind of father. So uh, I'm a dad. I'm a father of three. And uh, <laughs> admittingly, like, I struggle, with, I struggle with it. It's for those of you who are dads or, or soon to be dads or want to be dads or glad to not be dads anymore. Uh, like, you know, the, your kids are grown up, empty nesters. Um, it's, it's a struggle because it's, you know, love is a risk, right? And one of my, I don't know if it's a favorite quote, but it lands in me hard in the movie The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, Bill Murray's character. He has this, uh, Owen Wilson comes and, and potentially he's his like a love child that he never knew of. And uh, so he's like, this is my son. I don't have a son. And 
Owen Wilson says to him, he's like, if you knew, because he finds out he knew about him, and he's like, if you knew about me, why didn't you ever contact me? And Bill Murray says, because I hate dads, and I never wanted to be one. <laughs> and there's a certain aspect, I don't hate dads, uh, but there's a certain aspect of, like, of feeling inadequate to do all that it entails to be that, that person in, in these young children's lives. And despite all those, like, kind of struggles and feelings of inadequacy, as I've really thought about, like, what is, is as I'm going to be a dad to my daughter and my sons, like, what, what is my presence in their life? What is my presence in their life? And as I've thought about, like, thinking about the, their life growing up, because they're really young now, so mostly it's like, make sure you eat and you're safe and you put a coat on when it's cold outside, you know, things like that. But later on, it's going to be like, how are you navigating this complex world and, and the decisions you're making? And, and, and the way that I'm fathering my kids is that I'm fathering them to their fullest self. Like, my job to you as the people of this world and Holly and I's job is to make sure our kids aren't monsters in the world, and we're going to try our best to do that. You know, that when you go to school with them or interact with them at the grocery store, they're not too annoying. Uh, there's that aspect of it. But, like, our job as these, these children have come into the world is to, is to help them become their fullest self. You know, if you've ever seen children born and then seen them come into the world, like part of that experience to me is like the evidence of that we come from someplace else. Because yeah, we're affected and influenced by how we grow up, but there's also that we come into the world being a certain way. And part of being a parent is to, is to be in charge or is, is to be uh, given the responsibility of knowing that person that came into the world and learning and listening and, and, and working your hardest humbly and graciously and lovingly to help them come to their fullest, their fullest flourishing of themselves. So my son Anders is eight, and he's downstairs so we can talk about him. Um, he, you know, as eight-year-olds do, he really loves video games right now. And we, we don't have, we have like a old-school NES with like Super Mario Brothers, that's about it. Um, but... Uh, he'll go and play at other friends' houses and stuff like that, and that's great. I remember, uh, because sometimes his parents are just like, I can't do this, just do that. Admittingly, I remember Holly was out of town, I think Sally was out of town, and I was having a really bad depression day, and I brought my kids over to Kurt's house, and I just let them play video games for like five hours, and just laid on Kurt's couch. And, um, and they survived, and I made it through a depression day. It was great. Uh, you know, so there's those days. But Anders was just like, I want to do that every day. And we had a conversation where he's like, why won't you let me play video games more? And I was like, look, buddy, if you had your druthers, you would spend all day in a house downstairs playing video games. And what would happen is that you would never see the sunshine. And he's, you know, red hair and he's got pretty light skin. I was like, you'd become like translucent almost. Like you would be like an albino lizard that doesn't have any eyes anymore that's in a cave, you know, because they don't need them. I was like, you'd become that. Um, you probably would never eat. And so you'd probably play until you fainted. You'd probably never go to the bathroom. So you'd just be sitting there in your own stool and it would begin to get infected and it would call, you know, we would eventually have to 
take something off. And uh, you would never want to interact with people. So you would have, you'd eventually grow up to have no friends. You would never really learn anything. And so eventually when you'd have to, we kicked you out of the house, you wouldn't know how to do anything. <laughs> you know, I just went through this whole like ridiculous thing. And he's just like, uh-huh, it was more fun for me. But I was like, look, I was like, look, I, your mom and I love you. And we think that video games are a fun aspect of life, but we also know that, that there's all these other things in life that we want you to participate in. And so we're not saying, hey, you can only do this much for this long because we don't like you. We're just saying, maybe you just have this much because we love you, because we want to invite you to all these other things, all these other things, right? We, with, we withhold specifically as parents out of love because we're, we're there to be helpful and in charge of the flourishing of their personality, of who their being is. And so when I see this picture and I see these, these two siblings, these two offspring making decisions, like love is always inviting them back into that identity. Like I imagine a scenario one day where, my, where Anders or Elsa or Jones like calls us in their 20s or 30s and they're just like, I feel lost. I feel really lost in the world. And, and I've thought about this as I've, like I, <laughs> I walked around with Jones for like 45 minutes this morning, early in the morning. And I just, I remember thinking like, there'll be a moment when they call me and they'll be like, I'm, I feel lost. And my response to them will be, let me remind you who you are. Let me remind you who you are. Because that's what you're saying. I, f- I forgot who I was in the world. It's not about spending the money or sticking around and being faithful. It's about who am I in this relationship to love? Because Jesus is sitting and having dinner with these sinners who aren't getting it right. And he's going, do you understand that the Father has their identity and loves them? And do you understand, you religious leaders, the Father has your identity and loves you and is inviting you into flourishing too. And so I wonder with all our complicated stories or wonderful stories about fathers and dads and then experiencing the presence of God as Father. This week, maybe what our spiritual practice could be would be the words of the Father who says, look, you're always with me and everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. What would our lives look like to, to really embrace that, to, 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 to live from that identity? Everything that I have is yours. But understanding that God is parenting us in a way to our flourishing and fullest self. So there might be some things like, hey, not too many video games, right? <laughs> I have some other things for you. And to be okay with the mystery of, of that work that's going on, of that work that's going on. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have in the house of belonging is yours. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.